Hey, what's up? Chad, Grassroots Crypto. What's up, guys? Jim. Yeah. Oh, Thanks for holding it down last week. No, no problems, my friend. No problems at all. Worse. Yes, sir. Beautiful day. And yeah, you guys want to run through like all the all the recent stuff? We, we had a we had a recent uh, new version, right? Is that is that one twenty two? Yep, one twenty two. Yeah, you want to run through real quick and uh, go through what's what's new in one twenty two? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm bringing up the thing here so I can remind myself. Um, one second. Do, 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 do. 122. Uh, all right. Um, What's interesting? What's interesting? Boring, boring, boring. Some bug fixes, blah, 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 blah. Uh, making some corrections around like EVM incident ob- observations to help stop the double spend we saw last week. Uh, bug fix for that. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's the same as we already do for, for Bitcoin, right? Where we right. broadcast a transaction and we observe it instantly rather than waiting for it to be broadcast to the chain and then observing it later. So that stops, uh, yeah, I, I don't know exactly how, how that works. How, how does it actually stop any issues with the double spend? By observing it first and the outbound isn't sent again later? Right. So, like, effectively how the double spend worked was that uh, we would schedule an outbound, right, with the gas amount that was correct at the time. And then right when we schedule the outbound, some huge like event happens on Ethereum, which caused the gas to go to be like, you know, skyrocket five X larger. So then the, the nodes sign and broadcast the transaction, but then it doesn't get put into a block anytime soon. It takes about 45 minutes for the, for, the, for that transaction to be pushed into a, into the one of the blocks. Um, and the network will, will every, you know, 300 or every 30 minutes, if it doesn't see the outbound transaction, makes the assumption that the, that, that, you know, initial Asgard is, is not going to send it out for one reason or another because nodes are offline or, or something's up. Something's not right, but it's not doing the thing it's supposed to be doing. So we're going to reschedule to another, a different Asgard. And at that time, we, we reevaluate the gas required to send out transactions at that time, right? To kind of up it. So if, if gas is too much, you can't actually the transaction, then it'll just reschedule it with a new gas amount and then carry on like nothing, nothing happened. So, in, so just the timing of it is that we had to broadcast a transaction it doesn't get put into the block for like a half hour 45 minutes whatever it is we reschedule to another asgard and before both transactions are broadcast into the mempool before any one of them is committed to the chain in order to get to that scenario so the fix is that whenever we make an observation of an outbound transaction the network will delay an additional 30 minutes to reschedule right so if you make you know, two outbound observations, then you'll you'll do it in like, I think it's like an hour and a half or something like this. So when we sign a transaction uh, through an Asgard and there's like 12 members that are part of that signature, those 12 members will then make an observation like, hey, I signed this, I broadcast this, here's the outbound, you know, there you go. Like, don't worry about rescheduling it because I've already kind of shown you that I've, that I've 
produce a signature and I broadcast it onto the chain and just waiting to get onto the block. So that will delay the rescheduling by about six-ish hours or so, about six hours. So by the time that reschedule actually does happen, I'm sure the transaction you know would have gotten onto the chain and at that point would have been everything would have been fine. Cool. So yeah, that, that stops the issue for the double spend, hopefully. Well, you know, kind of makes it less likely to happen. You would need to not get that transaction onto a block the next six hours, which, uh, you know, seems fairly unlikely. Yep. Yeah, very unlikely. But it, yeah, especially overspending on gas like we do. Right, right. Uh, I think at this point, though, the, there's a lot of push on, on the dev side to, like, start moving um, – away from like features and like major features and just move towards reliability, stability, and, and decentralization and these kind of concepts. And so there's been a push amongst the devs for that this quarter. Now that we've shipped, you know, major features like lending and streaming swaps and savers and all these kind of major things, just to spend a few months uh, or the rest of the calendar year to focus on uh, making improvements to the protocol that, that aren't really sexy or exciting, but they're, they're going to make the, uh, protocol more reliable, more stable, and hopefully more decentralized as well. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think everything that's gone on the past like couple weeks, like it just makes it more, um, you know, like people understand like the importance of, of of all those things. Just like the the huge increase in volume, showing like some deficiencies in like uh, TSS signing time with like a huge outbound queue going on. Um, during some of like the highest volume days mm -hmm. and, and things like that. So like, yeah, yeah. So definite push towards just reliability, stability, decentralization during Q4 rather than like get, getting the newest, sexiest features out. Not, not that there won't be any new sexy features coming out, but. Yeah, we'll see. Like, I'd like to see at least one feature launched in this quarter or when we two, whatever we can get around to it. But I think immediately there's, there's a, um, there's a handful of issues, about 12 of them or so that I can remember off the top of my head um that are focused around you know improving the reliability of the network in general and there's gonna be a lot of focus over the next couple of months or so just to get these these things rolled out um to improve the up the speed performance scalability reliability like all these things yep and tss being one of the big focuses there Especially because that's been shown to be like kind of a weak point. Yeah, I, yeah, I would honestly say that the TSS is, is probably the most uh, the most fragile component to, to the stack as a whole. Like it's the most thing that fails the most frequently, and, and it's it's okay because it's able to recover in all scenarios. So it's not like it's a huge deal. But obviously, we, we prefer things to be reliable and stable versus like you know being able to rework itself to to be functional at the end. So we'll be probably putting together like kind of a, a TSS task force in the next few days uh, with a handful of devs to just devote a, a big amount of time and energy into researching uh, the TSS related issues, trying to figure out what are the root causes of these things? How can we solve these problems? How do we get things to be much more reliable uh, and, and, and better in the, in the near future? Cool. Yeah, I've been seeing a bunch of housekeeping stuff too, just like removing old code and things that aren't really used anymore, like deprecated things like the old Yggdrasil vaults yep. or just like old old methods and, and stuff that just aren't used anymore. So just kind of like a lot of a lot of cleanup yep. stuff going on. A lot of cleanup stuff, a lot of like house cleaning things. Again, nothing too sexy, but just good good things for the health of the protocol. 
Yeah, hundred percent. So, did you want to talk about uh, like Mamir V two at all? Because I know that you had some ideas and um, like a early implementation of Mamir V two. So maybe you, uh, we should just run through that and like kind of go through um, just the entire like r overhaul of the Mamir thing. Maybe maybe like starting with the history of like the you mm -hmm. know what is Mamir and like why yeah. it why it started, like what it's become, and then like I guess where 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 where, where we're thinking about taking it. Right. So the, the initial concept of Mamir was an ability for devs to be able to make configuration changes, not protocol changes, but configuration changes um, in a way that allowed us to have some small and restrained form of control over the protocol in the early days, right? Cap, cap abilities, cap limited capabilities, but to, for us to be able to roll out, you know, a brand new, blockchain, single-chain case as it, was, as it was back then, and be able to, like, you know, pause trading or pause LP or pause bonding, whatever, in the event that there's some sort of bug or exploit or something severe where, where, where funds at risk or something of this nature or the protocol's at risk of some form. And so that was created, this thing called Mimir. And the name Mimir came from a character in Norse mythology. It's a character that at the end of the story, of his story, uh, Mamir gets his head chopped off and I think Odin like carries it around in a bed of flowers or something like this. And so like, that was the reason why we chose Mamir because it was always intended from the get-go to be a temporary thing. It was something that we wanted to make sure we had kind of some capabilities in the early days to be able to like maintain the network for while it's still kind of the codes being hardened and proving itself and we can, you know, fix things if things come up. Uh, and we have used that that capability as a dev team like many, many times over the last few years. And it's been very helpful to be able to pause churning or something like this when it when it's appropriate to do so. And I think we've been talking about Mamir V2. We actually, before we get into that, we went to Mamir V1 with node control, like I think a, I think a year later, where we wanted to give nodes the, the, the actual control at the end of the day that they have the ability to, to override whatever Mamir admin configures, like the nodes can come together and just, you know, resume trading or something like this. Like, and in the end, it's the nodes that always have full control over the protocol. Their Mamir admin just gave it the ability for the dev team to make kind of quick changes quickly, but they only actually last if the network or the nodes agree with it. And that's what Mamir, like Mamir node Mamir came, came from to kind of give nodes that kind of full control at the end of the day. Uh, and so we've been talking about Mamir v2 for well over a year like internally uh there's some like GitLab issues from like a year, over a year ago and we started talking about it again um a few months ago i think it was in like august i want to say mid-august or something like this and we just kind of talked about the idea of like well maybe it's you know, the network's been out for a long time you know we've, we're now at mainnet you know we've seen a lot of things uh the network's getting you know increasingly more stable with time but we also don't want to like kill it entirely because uh, the ability to configure the networks because you never know when there's a bug, you never know when there's an exploit, you never know when there's something going to happen or some even not even related to Thorchain, like some other chain like Bitcoin Cash or whatever could have some sort of major problem. We need to be able to, to, to pause things for that chain, for example, even if it's not even something that like a change that we had made right on the project. So we started talking about Mimir V2 again uh, a few months ago. It's been a kind of ongoing conversation for well over a year, but we probably started talking again a few months ago and talked about implementation details and how this would look and blah, blah, blah. And one of the goals was to remove Mimir admin from the, from the protocol entirely and to give the nodes basically the ability for, for no Mimir. And so 
the new version of, of v2 is controlled uh entirely by the validators of the network right nobody else has any kind of special rights or permissions it's just nodes at the end of the day who control anything and everything has to do with the protocol and so what's different though is that there's going to be two different types of, of mamirs in v2 whereas now it's just like one type and this new type is going to be either an economic mamir or an operational mamir right and so an economic mamir is kind of like something that is a, a, a configuration of the network that, that defines the network's behavior Right, like for example, the emission curve would be a good example. Like how fast rune is emitted from reserve. Uh, we could configure all sorts of things via by the, the economic mirror. But the things that would be operational would be things that would be like you know enabling or disabling features, or trading, or chains, or you know managing the cap on you know lending, or the cap on something else. And so like the, like the operational aspects of like how we you know control the different components but not the overall behavior of the network itself. The overall behavior uh, would be managed by economic mirrors. So, but the difference between those two things in terms of how they're controlled is that economic mirror requires a two thirds majority of the nodes to, to change the consensus. So the economic mirror is set to something right now and if nodes want to increase that number or decrease that number or whatever, they have to get a two thirds consensus of all the nodes, all the active nodes to make that change, right? Uh, those are intended to be hard numbers that are not easy to change. They are numbers that you never generally don't want to change unless it's really a significant change that you really want to make uh, uh, that is a lasting change. Operational mirror is a little bit different, though. That one requires it's, it's a simple majority of vote, people who, of nodes who have voted, right? With a minimum number of votes, it has to be three on any side that wins this kind of voting battle. So. In the state of an operational mirror, let's just take trading, for example. And at, at the beginning of the moment, you know, nobody has voted in any direction on trading. It's just like everybody's sitting in a neutral position because you had nobody's voted yet on this particular topic. Then let's just say something happens. There's some bug that happens or whatever, you know, for some reason to pause. Uh, three nodes can come together and vote to pause trading, in which case trading would be paused at that moment until uh, you get a three nodes that tie it or a fourth node that go to resume trading, right? So it's like whatever number of votes gets, whatever side gets the most votes basically wins, right? In a, in a simple way to put it. So that would be pretty much done by like, you know, uh, by the devs and by the operators who, 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 was, who was running nodes, like nine runs of nodes, for example. So they might use those nodes to help kind of manage the network and be able to pause things when they really need to. And then, um, and if the community disagrees with the, you know, pausing of a, uh, of, of um, trading, for example, instead of getting a two thirds consensus, which is what you needed before, or right now it's true, you can just have four nodes and you vote against it, right? And then somebody can vote a fifth on the trading side and a sixth on the non-trading side. And like, you can get into a kind of a, a battle or a war between sides to determine what the actual behavior of the network will be. But these operational things do not change actual like incentives. That doesn't change rewards. It doesn't change anything like that. It just changes whether or not some feature is enabled or, or disabled or the cap of that feature is what cap that is at. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So essentially things like the incentive curve, 
uh, like the Max Rune Supply yep. and other like other things that are basically never changed, um, but are still set through a mirror are economic constants that it requires a majority to to change yep. and th those are likely to probably never be touched but like obviously it needs, a, it needs an entire majority in order to change those things and then the operational mirrors are the things that are flipped on a more regular basis uh like things like like pausing pausing trading pausing like lp actions on any particular chain yep. and that's that just requires a simple a simple um, majority of votes. Right. So most people have a have like a nil vote, and then once three nodes vote in one direction, they can they can pause trading. So essentially, it opens up uh, like the functionality of the admin mirror. It kind of like socializes it a bit to all the nodes and just says like, "Hey, anyone can do this as long as you have like uh, you know this amount of voting power." And then anyone can essentially veto that right. with the appropriate number of votes in, in the other direction. Right. And we just so it, it, like it maintains the power to be able to uh, like keep the network safe and like be able to respond to threats, but also you know not be uh, like subject to any right. like individual that has like the the ability to to do that. Right. It it puts less reliance or or, or less um, expectations, I guess, in some sense, on the devs to maintain the network and makes it more readily available for anybody. You, if the devs had to step aside for some reason or whatever, or they just all got hit by a bus, who knows? Like the, the rest of the community has the ability to to kind of take things over, and they and they surely will at times. Because like take the recent Gaia fork we just saw, you know, yesterday I think it was, where like we had to pause trading, pause LPs, you know, and there's like there's a kind of a process to pause Gaia, let them fork, let them fi fix their stuff, make sure it's all stable and reliable, and you know they're not into a, a bad case or bad scenario. And once it's all ready, we can go ahead and resume, you know, trading on that uh, on that chain stuff like that. So, like, for I think for all of time of the of the protocol, there's always going to be situations where we're going to need operational mirrors to be able to pause trading, like at the Sky Fork, for example. And that's just going to be a, a thing of just how we manage the network on, into the future. That somebody's going to have to do it. But I think it's much better and much more decentralized to say that that um, the community can do it. The devs can do it too if, if they're you know if they're available on these kind of things. But if they're one day if they were not available, the community can do it too. Right, but there's no distinction. It's just anyone that that runs a node. Well, you, right. you need three anyway in order to change any kind of constant. If you're just right. if you're one operator, but um, it it makes no any any node can change any of the any of those permissions, but not in an oppressive way where it's like they can change things like you know, the incentive curve or the, the rune supply or like the lending lever and like the things that, you know, we, that, you, that you'd want everyone to agree upon right. before doing it. Not things that would need like a quick action, like, you know, like, like pausing trading or something. Right. And even if some, even if three nodes came together to be just to be malicious and they decided, or oh, we're going to pause trading because, you know, YOLO, um, then if they don't like you, you just make relay to just to describe to the rest of the community of like why they made that decision if there's something you know something's up or, or not or whatever, and they can't you know defend themselves then then you know four nodes can get together and vote against them and that can you know resume it right, or the network even more extreme scenarios the nodes of the network can go ahead and ban those three individuals who voted to pause trading they can actually kick them out of the network through a ban process, which we never actually use that particular you know tool before in our history that i can remember at least but in extreme scenarios i guess you could you know just kick those three guys out if they're if they are being malicious and carry on like nothing happened
How does that actually work? Um, so can it just use your two-thirds majority and you ban that operator and they just get their bond back? Or like, how does the, the how do you can, how can you ban an operator? Yeah, uh, it's basically that. Like it's, it, costs, it costs money to the, the validator who's asking to ban them. Like it costs them a lot of money. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head, but it's not cheap because it, sh it should be used pretty sparingly. It should not be uh, a commonly you know, utilized tool. But once you get to a two thirds majority of the network kind of chooses to ban this particular you know, individual, this, this node, uh, the network would then like immediately reject them from the network, and so they're no longer commit able to commit blocks anymore, and they probably won't commit, you know, participate in TSS key signs and that kind of stuff, which is fine because you don't need 100% of people; you just need two thirds of the of an Asgard, so it's not a big deal there. I think I would actually one thing I would like to change about the behavior of that, and I just never got around to changing it because it just it seemed like low priority. Was that like the the cost of banning somebody to like if i want to ban cow for example if i'm one of the nodes uh and let's just say i have to spend like you know ten thousand dollars with the room to, to ban him and then once cow is gets banned by a, a two-thirds majority i get my ten thousand dollars back from his bond so that he pays the price rather than me paying the price right so if you can get two-thirds to agree then everybody gets should get their their room reward back and then and it gets taken from from cows, cows bond. I think that's where I kind of I'd like to change it. But I I've been thinking about that thing for a long time. Just never got around to prioritizing because it just seemed like low level priority. Yeah, exactly. I mean, something that's probably I mean, hopefully, it never happens, right? Because the only reason why that would actually happen is because a node is acting like maliciously towards the network. Like, there's no other reason why you'd want. A yeah, particular validator to, to be banned. Right, right. It's pretty hard to get in a situation like that. I think one one scenario could be that like a realistic scenario is assuming a non a non malicious scenario is that if that node is like completely broken and completely offline and never come online again, if the whole thing got nuked for some reason, uh, and you don't want that node to participate in the next key sign a key gen rather like to be to be it should be ejected if that operator like got shot shot in the head or hit by a bus or whatever and he didn't actually do a leave command the network would try to like keep that node in the network right in the next key gen right but if you if that one's just like offline not signing anything not doing anything if he's racking slash points and if he didn't get enough slash points to just get kicked out of the next churn then the nodes can come together and say this guy is like completely offline the last like two and a half days but he's like causing key gens to fail let's go ahead and ban that person, which would immediately eject them from the network at that moment. And he wouldn't be a part of the next key gen or the next churn attempt. I guess that's one hypothetical scenario, but that's kind of why we created it to begin with, to have this ability is like, it's kind of like a last last ditch effort or last resort that if there's something extreme happening, like somebody's holding the network hostage some way, you know, through the key gen process or whatever like this, when we can't churn at all because it's one fucking asshole there's always this like this ban ability just to like punt him from the network just as a last ditch, like, you know, uh, backstop if there's some, some extreme case happens in the scenario, but we, I don't think we've ever actually needed anything like it before, but it's just there just, just in case. Yeah. And even so it, it's still seemed unlikely that like a, a node would try and do mal anything malicious to the, uh, uh, like to the network through the through the new Mamir, even though like if they were a multi-node operator, it's possible they could try and pause trading. But then, uh, you know, if they're doing it for no reason, then uh, you know others aren't going to like that. 
Right. So they have to they have to like defend themselves. And I think if, as long as they make a, a reasonable defense, I don't think people would get pissy about it if you think there's an actual reason to do so. Um, but if you're just doing it because like, I don't know, you just want to be a dick about it, then I think people might get pissy and they might choose to ban you. In fact, the, the actual fee that nodes pay to ban you is also a mirrored. So nodes could vote to change the fee and then vote to ban you at basically no cost. Right. Well, that would be an economic constant. <laughs> yeah, so that, would, that would be an economic, that would be an example of an economic constant for sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I really like the, the idea of like just separating it into economic and operational. Like it makes, it makes total sense. And like, it's going to be good for the actual decentralization of the network. Like, and, and that's, and that's the final step towards planned obsolescence is just getting rid of the advent of mirror. So this is kind of the, the final step of just like the, the network is just in the hands of the node operators. And that's just the way that it goes indefinitely. Right. And we just have to be careful about like what, what, which Mamiers are operational because if you, if you give them too many or the wrong ones, you know, a, most person could use those operational mirrors to like manipulate something or whatever. Like uh, to give you an example would be like if operational mirror could just, you know, arbitrarily pick any pool to be part of the Tor anchor, right? Like, you just remove all the stable coins and just add Bitcoin as the, as the anchor for the Tor price. You could use that to price manipulate and, you know, open up a huge loan and profit a huge amount and blah, blah, blah. Like that would obviously be bad. So it's like, you have to be careful that whatever operational members we do create, that we have to study them closely to make sure that uh, a malicious operator couldn't utilize those in some way to, to personally gain from the system. If, it, if, they, if there is an ability to do that, then it has to be a two thirds majority, like economic Lumiere. Yeah, I'm assuming that most things are would be an economic Mamir that would require a full majority because it's like mo most things don't really need to be flipped on or off or, you know, changed all that often. And if they do, then it's probably good to have a consensus for it. It, it'd really just be the things that that admin Mamir is used for today, which is, uh, you know, either turning on like a new feature that like might need to be flipped off or just like, you know, stopping things right. for, for a little bit. Right, exactly. So yeah, yeah, just kind of like just separating the line there. So I would assume that most things would actually be ec economic mirrors, not uh, operational. Yeah, that's probably true. That's like, yeah, there'll probably only be you know a dozen or so that would be um, operational. The vast majority, the other hundred would probably be closer to be economic. Yeah, I I wonder what you think about um, like I I kind of just had this idea a little bit ago, but. Um, it's not really that important, but things like, you know how we sometimes know do like symbolic votes of, of things just to do like an on-chain vote mm -hmm. uh, for like ADRs and things like mm -hmm. that. I wonder if that makes sense to include as like a third type where it's like, it, it does absolutely nothing, but um, it's not like, you know, clogging up economic, uh, operational mirrors or, you know, economic ones just to like have some kind of on-chain voting mechanism for just, you know, an ADR or just like a, a chain vote or like whatever. Yeah. Um... I thought about that idea of including a third type would be like a vote type, which is just, you know, doesn't actually do anything to the protocol. It just kind of expresses an intention or a, a viewpoint. And I, I ended up not doing it just because um, node Mimir V1 uh, could still exist, right? In the sense that it's able to express arbitrary ideas, um, but it doesn't have any ability to, to change behavior of the protocol. So you might be able to vote 
for mere v1 and say you know i vote to enable something or or whatever i want the next chain to be uh you know dash i don't know whatever right um but it doesn't actually change any of the behavior of the network it doesn't actually cause any actual fundamental changes cool if uh, people want to come up and like ask questions about um you know any of this stuff you can i think one person raise their hand, but they're back down now. So if anyone would like to like, uh, just get a better view or just like ask a question about what, what's going on here, we are totally available. Yeah, people are welcome to come up if you have any questions about this or anything else for that matter. So yeah, then that's the last thing towards planned obsolescence. And then it's like everything is pretty much, uh, pretty much done. So like, it's going to be a good time. So I know people have been like, I've, you know, definitely like seen, seen comments, people asking about like, you know, update, update, update. And, uh, you know, this is, this is it basically. Yep. There's nothing left to, to do after this. Obviously there's things to be done to increase the decentralization and just, um, you know, stability of the network, but yep. this is the last step towards like the, the planned obsolescence of the original dev team. Yeah, I mean, I'd still like to see, as a part of the original detail, I'd still like to see some other, like, major things planned. Like, I want to see memoist transactions. I want to see limit orders, maybe perpetuals. We're still kind of brainstorming on that one. But um, that there is going to come a day at some point in the not-too-distant future when we um, there's no major features left to build. I mean, there's always, there's always optimizations and, and tweaks and improvements to be made, but... There's no like huge major features to be built to built everything under the sun. Yo, Nirvana, what's up? Hey guys, um, when streamers for loans? Yeah, so streams for loans. Um, we got was it part of one twenty one. Um, we were waiting for a little while for like all this like massive, massive trade volume to kind of die down before we make like, you know, new changes to the protocol while huge volumes going through. It just didn't seem like it made sense at that time to do it. Um, so we just kind of let, let the kind of volume, you know, pass through and, and kind of die down on its own. Uh, and then I think it was yesterday we enabled the dynamic anchor concept, which is um, all towards streaming loans. If you didn't do the dynamic anchor thing first before streaming loans, like the amount of the amount of you know streaming swaps you could have would be like just like either zero or like two, <laughs> one one or two, which would not be you know all that useful at that that level. So uh, we got that done yesterday. So far, it's looking good. I'm just keeping my eye on the on the dashboard, making sure that the graph looks legitimate. And so far, so it looks pretty good. Um, the next part is enabling streaming savers because that's the simpler of the two. Um, streaming savers is a little bit simpler than than um, than uh, uh, streaming loans, streaming loans. So that's the next one, uh, which I was kind of waiting, waiting for Eric Danis on the phone because he was part of that, uh, the part of the team who, that that built that feature. So I kind of want him to be on board and watching it with us when we actually put that switch, which could be either tomorrow or maybe early next week. Once that gets get going and that one's like sailing, everything looks good with that one. I think we can probably. And then enable uh, uh, streaming loans, which will probably be mid next week. I'm gonna guess. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, I, I was looking at the uh, 
new dynamic outbound. Sorry, I, I keep forgetting what this thing is called because the name is kind of unintuitive. The uh, you know the dynamic pool depths or, or whatever that basically changes the derived asset pool depths. Um, yeah, it looked good except for I guess there's one like little bug with BNB that's causing the BNB depth to be really low because it's it because that's the only pool where there's BNB for one chain and then BNB for another chain, so it's like iterating over itself for like the beacon chain and then it does it again for the smart chain uh over the same derived asset pool so i think it's just like one thing needs to be fixed probably not not important for uh probably not that important uh and necessary to get it out but like because everything else looks good just uh that one thing with with bnb well yeah so like the the bnb derived asset pool is like not being utilized at all right now because the only pools you can actually swap with is the Tor one, Bitcoin, and, and ETH. And so the BNB is not even being utilized at all, so it doesn't actually really matter if that's in good standing or not. But we'll, we'll I'm sure we'll be pushing out a, a release in you know, 120. Oh, I see. Yeah, it w- I guess it wouldn't matter if you took that out as a debt asset. Right. Would it? Because, it w- yeah, that wouldn't even, it wouldn't even matter because you're already out of derived assets by the time you get to the BNB. Right, right. So we'll fix it, I'm sure, in like one, probably one twenty three or whatever. But but for right now, it doesn't even matter. So it's just it's just the network's being confused because there's two BNB assets of of the same BNB asset on two different chains, which is just confusing the math a bit. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, and then uh, then streaming savers, and then streaming lending. Hell yeah. And then we can start working on Amir V2 and other kind of like reliability things just improve improve the stability of the network. I think that's the next thing for the next quarter or so. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if there's anything that gets in Q4, I definitely like MemoList just because uh, I, I think it gives us a big advantage for integrations, especially because then integrators don't really have to think about the wallet context at all. Um, like all, all they'll have to do is plug into a like an API that'll just generate a, a, a you know the the right amount to send and where to send it to and like you know without having to think about like hey we need like to hook up a Bitcoin wallet to this Ethereum DApp or like whatever they're not going to need to think about that all they're going to need to do is just you know plug into the API and then just say like here's a QR code scan it. Send send the coins and then whatever you wanted to do is like going to happen. So yeah. it's like that that's that's one thing that I I would really like to see. I'd be very fascinated to see how much trade like volume that a UI like that would get. Like that doesn't have to do a full integration. They can just go to a website and click it in or or even it might be even used as like a kind of a gateway drug in some sort of like, hey, I can get quick and easy integration, torch integration into my you know, my you know, multi chain wallet without doing like a full thing. And have them just do the quick and easy one, which is just like an API call and then send it. And then once they kind of tasted the drug a little bit, you know, and like kind of wanted a better experience and wanted blah, 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 and get better quotes and whatever else, like they could actually do a full integration and be even more, uh, more reliable, I suppose. But it might be used as like a good kind of a gateway drug to get more UIs to uh, wallets and Texas to integrate. Yeah. I think from the concept of like a single chain DAP that, that's active right now. Like if you're one of those, you're you're just never gonna go through the headache of like 
figuring out how to do all the Bitcoin stuff, yeah. you know, you, you, it's just, it's not worth it yeah. for, for your intent. Cause all your users are on Ethereum, like, blah, blah. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. And even multi-chain, uh, like there, there's plenty of like wormhole Axelar. Um, they both have these widgets that they ship out to sites and they're like swap widgets. Right. But they just connect to the major wallets and you know, what major browser wallet does besides XCFi, which is, you know, a, a fraction of the size of the EVM ones that, right. that they all hook up to currently. So being able to just have the, uh, yeah, you just, you just do the Bitcoin thing and just scan the code and, and do it like super easy to get that in rather than being like, Hey, by the way, you need to figure out like how to get a, how to do a Bitcoin wallet connection. And like, you know, it, it's never going to happen. Like it, it just doesn't, doesn't make any sense for them to put resources into doing that when, uh, you know, they could do something just like uh, scanning a QR code. So, yeah, I remember I saw Plan B um, of that kind of fame of that chart he created. I'm now blanking on the name of it, but um, he was t- tweeting about this like a few months ago. Like, why can't I just trade on Thorchain by just like t- going to a, some you know website and plugging what I want and just give me an address and send it? Like, he literally described the most transactions. Uh, inadvertently, and I was like, "Yeah, we're literally building that right now." <laughs> yeah, de- definitely the the nicest quality light thing that's going to happen. And then interfaces like DoorSwap, like like Shapeshift, they're just going to be completely wallet agnostic. It's going to be like you just type what you want to do; it'll show a QR code, and then like you just do the thing, yeah. and then it's done. It doesn't even matter what wallet you're using. So, right. And that's what's going to be really cool. Like, uh, I, I could see as like a new like a new user being um, like really liking that experience. So, like, it's probably going to take a while to get down. That's why I'm like hoping that we get it shipped out sooner rather than later. Because obviously, the, uh, the the sooner you can get started on integrations, like you know, these things take like super long time to actually get going. So, like, the, the quicker they actually get started, uh, you know, the quicker we can actually wrap them up and get a product shipped out and have people start using it. Right. Right. All right. Anything else from the community? Questions, concerns? Q&A? Ask me anything, AMA? <laughs> I mean, there's no shortage of things you could build on ThorChain. I, I know that you're, you're kind of at the end of like, hey, like, you know, we're kind of nearing like feature completeness here, but I, I still got a ton of ideas of things that I would love to do. I, I feel like I need to learn like Go or something like that and just, like, <laughs> just, just build these things or something. Well, there's always more to build for sure. One of the things that I would like to see happen uh, and, and may never happen, but I think it'd be interesting would be the ability for ThorChain to send assets on ThorChain to contracts, smart contracts on other chains. So if you wanted to be like be like an LP of like the Bitcoin pool, for example, and then you wanted to take your LP units and like transfer them to a smart contract on like Osmosis or a smart contract on Ethereum or a layer two maybe, and transfer your, your liquidity units to to a smart contract, and then that smart contract can then like you know do anything they want with it. Like they could you know make a gambling game out of it. They could do trading. They could do you know NFT stuff. Like who knows? It could be arbitrarily. Anything so that would that would give like smart contract ability on top of Thorchain, but not on Thorchain. It's on any any blockchain that has smart contracting on it would be supported. Yeah, I feel like the most interesting use for that would be just like a DAO or something like that. Like you know, people 
pooling together funds and and doing that yeah. together through some kind of smart contract. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, you could you could do a DAO out of it for sure. A lot of things you can do with it. It's just like becomes this kind of open ended a way of developing on top of Torchain using our assets, our derived assets, or synthetics or LP units, the rune asset itself. You could transfer all of these things to a smart contract. And it's pretty simple to do too. It's like not that complex. Cool. Anyone else want to come up, or is there other stuff you guys want to talk about uh, today? Thorswap is back up, so congrats yeah, to back up. the team for actually like, uh, you know, getting that stuff out the door. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Good to see it. Yeah, I'm sure that was a, it's been a harrowing time for them, for sure. Rough, rough time, but they've handled it pretty well, I think overall. I think they've done a pretty good job. And so I congratulate them and I welcome them back to the fold. Yep, back to business. Back to business. I can say that, uh, what I'm saying, ledger transactions now work on Asgard X. After some uh, non-realm infrastructure changes, so that should be good. The four hundred three shouldn't uh, happen anymore. Yeah. Sweet. I've been seeing some nice like uptick of activity for like Asgard X too. So like I love to see that as well. Like some more diversity in interfaces and things. It's good. This is this is why you have multiple interfaces. There's no official interface for four chain. There's Many different ways. So if one one or two goes down, there's uh, there's still plenty of options. Right. That's the way to go, really. Yeah, you you don't even need an interface if you're a bit more tech savvy. But interfaces just really make it easier. Yeah, that's all. Absolutely. I've always been a big fan of Asgard X. I've always liked it from the beginning because I always liked the idea of like um, running my own UI like locally and not be on some website that can be turned off or the domain can be, you know, uh, reacquired by some ICANN or whatever the hell it is. And like, it's just much more decentralized to be able to run your own stuff yourself without relying on other people to run it for you. Yeah. And so for source, you can see the code. And what I like is your key store staying on your machine. Right. You're not uploading your key store and password to a website. Right. Right. The one thing that Asgard X is missing, though, from a decentralization perspective, is that its its uh, infrastructure is reliant on, I think, Nine Realms to run Bitcoin daemons and Thornode daemons and all these things to to fetch information and then push information to. That's the one thing it's it's kind of missing. Is it, it's just a way for it to interact with those systems without a centralized entity of some kind. I I totally agree. Uh, I've got a node running. Now a, a full node. I just um, I'm just having issues with Midgard, uh, the, the things falling over. But in the future, that's the idea: is for us to run a node, and then that way we can direct all the traffic to to the node, or at least, at least have a backup, so we're not dependent on um, on nine realms like we have been before. Because right. if they they throttle more and said, "Oh, that's it, we're no longer public access," we're we're in a bit of trouble. And you know, ThorSwap run their own infrastructure. I think Lens might run their own infrastructure. Other people run their own infrastructure. Like this is this is the future. Yeah, you can't you can't be reliant. This is this is exactly the thing people. that Archeo is trying to build now. That decentralized infrastructure, uh, node infrastructure, so that people can 
offer, you know, Bitcoin data or Thornode data or Midgard data, whatever it is. And then if anyone got censored or whatever it is, you can always just flip to somebody else. It's like, it's, it's, it's so small and simple and quick to be able to change from one provider to another that it's becomes really hard to, to attack in some ways. So question, are the, uh, node operators could, if you had a list of all the IPs, which I think you might be able to get, mm-hmm. can you use other nodes just to query, like go through an array and just iterate through that to get data? Are you talking about on Archeo or are you talking about on ThorChain's nodes? On ThorChain. Yeah, no, the, the, the validators of the network don't actually run uh, Thor nodes publicly. I mean, they run it locally, but they don't run it publicly. And that's largely to avoid um, DOS attacks on the validators themselves. Like reading data and saving data, like reading and writing data should probably never be done on validators directly themselves because it just opens them up to an, another kind of area of, of attack. Instead, you run full nodes and you read and write data from those mm-hmm. instead of the actual validator set. Right. Because obviously, if I set one up, I've got an IP, then if that gets exposed, <laughs> you know, everyone can just DDoS that one. Right. That, that's that's the concern there. Right. So then it becomes like if you're in your own node, you've got to protect it somehow. Right. And protecting a full node is a lot easier than protecting a validator node, or certainly a lot less at risk. Because if you if you dox if you dos enough validators, you know, at the same time, you could potentially stop block production theoretically, right? Which is why we don't expose explode, expo, uh, expose those ports publicly. Um, even the P2P ports that are open, like those can be configured to be just between the, the validator sets, like those IP addresses specifically, rather than the open public. So, but full nodes, if you can DOS the hell of those things, and then you just, you're not really having any effect on the protocol itself, which is, which is why you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, well, the DDoS on nine realms didn't really affect the network. Right. It just, um, right. it just causes inconvenience. Right. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I'm working on at the moment. Trying to get Midgard to work uh, and then probably update the documentation and, and do a video. Yep. So This is like, this it. is something that I really see happen because this, this is what I'm working on on Archeo too is that like the node infrastructure is one component of it. I think Asgard X has got uh, the equation partially right in the sense that you're building desktop applications that you can download. And once you download it, it's yours, right? You can't be turned off. You don't have forced to upgrade to a new version like a website typically is. Like whenever a website release updates a version, like they update it for you as well, and you have no choice but to use the newest version. Whereas in it, what's great thing about the desktop version is that not only are you not utilizing any domains that can be you know, spoofed or attacked or fished or turned off or any of these things, you're just running it all locally, which is just yours and your position for all of time. Um, but you can maintain your version if you want to. If you come up with a new version of Artist Products coming out tomorrow, and for reasons, I just don't like it because I don't like this new feature, or I think it's got some something I just you know just really don't like, then I can just choose to stay on the version I'm at, I'm at and continue that for as long as I want to, right? And I think one of the the, the viewpoints of Archeo, like in the long term, is that like we build this kind of desktop application that becomes like an app store. And so you can, you know, install the Asgard X, you can install the Thor swap, you can install the Uniswap, you can install the, you know, in, insert random UI here, DYDX, whatever it's going to be. And you can just like run them all locally. 
and and complete running it in a completely like self self hosted way, and never have to worry about you know US um, uh, updating things underneath you or anything like this. Like a uh, an Umbral app package or something like that, App Store, you know, Umbral. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the protocol itself would, would actually use uh, BitTorrent as the methodology of sharing uh, packages. Like, so, if, you know, as Gardax comes with a new version, you just share it via BitTorrent, and the and the application will mm. find the new version. Say, hey, do you want to upgrade to the new version or something like this? And then you can just, you literally download it from the community. So it's, there's not even a centralized server where all these packages are being stored. It's really just being um, passed through a BitTorrent um that's the methodology of like sharing it. So everybody who downloads the new version of Asgardx on this new application would then become a sharer and share it for other, other people that download it as well. And they, you know, you're relying solely on your own community to be able to, to uh, utilize these applications, which is a much better approach. Yeah, it's cool. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, you sit on your own. It's just like if you're on a, uh, a node for... Or, uh, like a Bitcoin node, you can decide whether you want to upgrade or, and maybe you don't upgrade straight away. Maybe you wait, a, you know, one or two versions yeah. just to see if there's any issues. Yep. Um, you've got a bit more control about, you get told there's an update, but it, it's your choice to actually accept that or not. Right. That's an important component of like, of decentralization is the ability to choose uh, which version you want to use. If you don't have that, then somebody else is enforcing upon you what code you execute. If somebody else is enforcing upon you what code you execute, well, then it's not yours; it's theirs, and they're telling you what to use, and that becomes a problem for decentralization. Yeah, well, because then you know someone can put some some exploit or, or something in the code, sure. and then it's pushed. Exactly, you don't want that. There was a there was an exploit on I want to say it was um oh, what's uh what's the name of that one. I can't remember the name of it right now, but they they had the attacker had like inserted some sort of like JS bug or exploit into their CDN, and so everybody was going to the website to use. Oh, it was, I think it was Badger. I think it was or something like this, and so they you know lost a huge amount of money because of just some you know CDN hosted exploit, which is obviously highly problematic. But with this 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 particular design, there's no ability to do that at all. Everything is cryptographically signed. Everything is, is checksummed. There's no ability to insert new code other than what was written and already validated. All apps that are on the Archeo network are all open source and verifiable by anybody and everybody to validate that all the code works as it is. And in fact, none of these applications have any ability to access the general internet at all. Everything that happens outside of itself into the general internet has to go through uh, uh, channeled hardware not hardware, but channeled uh, uh, ports locally on your computer that connects you to specific pr providers of data. So you can't actually even get like fished to sign transactions, you know, uh, on Ethereum or something like this, because the only way you can sign a transaction is when it's prompt on your device, on the uh, the UI itself to, to go ahead and sign it rather than something being signed for you. It can't, it can't actually broadcast transactions for you unless it has permission to. Cool. It's all about when's uh. I was gonna say it's all it's all it's, sorry, it's all about just much better privacy, much better security, much more decentralization, like the way the internet should have been built from the get go in many respects. When's uh when's V one coming out? Uh, quite a while to be honest with you. Uh, it's it's taking much longer to do V one than I would have would have liked. 
um, the, the, the code's been ready for a while, like for like months now, but we just, we're stuck in testnet and we're just trying to get people to help validate some of the basic functionalities of the service. And it's like, it just seems like people aren't incentivized to do it. Like they, they want to run, they want to be validators and that kind of stuff, but they don't want to be data providers or challenge like being a, or uh, test being a, a DAP themselves because it's just like they have other things on their, on their to-do list and it's just like low priority. So it's kind of hard to get people to get their like, actually kick the tires. Well, I'll, uh, I'll have a note up for a while. So uh, you also let me know. Yeah. Once we actually launch this thing, like even just the infrastructure part of it, like the UI ideas and we were just talking about, that's like phase two. Phase one is just the infrastructure. But once you launch that part and go go to mainnet, like um, Asgard actually should give it a good a good look because, you know, get off of the, uh, the nine realms T in a sense and, and get onto uh, a, a different system that is much more decentralized and much more in the control of the user so that they have much more uh, self-sovereignty if they choose. Cool. Uh, brought up Param2020. What's up? If anyone else likes to come up and say anything. Param, you there? Guess not. <laughs> All right, I'm bringing up uh, Thormaxian. Hey, what's up? Hey. A um, couple questions about um, bond providing. Um, first one is just a very, you know, basic bond providing 101 question. If you, you know, match up, find somebody on Discord or whatever that has a slot open for bond providing, then presumably they have to whitelist you for a certain address that you deposit to, right? Mm -hmm. And then how do you know that that address is like a legit bond providing address and not just their, you know, newly created trust wallet address that you're sending it into or something. Um, sorry, are you asking from the node operator perspective? Or are you asking from the bond providers perspective? From the bond providers address, it seems a little scary to just like somebody gave me an address of where to send all my rune. Let me just send it off there. Right. And hope it's a legit address, right? Okay. So you don't actually send any rune when you are a bond provider. Okay. Uh, ne never, never send a rune to to a node operator or anybody else. Like ne never, never, never do that. So what you do is you do a message deposit, which is a type of transaction. It's like um, so instead of sending it directly to them, you send it to the network. You send it to the module. Right. right through a message deposit so you don't actually like the node operator never should take custody of your funds sure so don't ever send it to the node operator so even if you like completely messed it up or something and they gave you like a wrong address or something like that you don't actually you wouldn't lose anything you just get the you just get it back because it would just be an invalid address so like that that's the first thing is don't ever like just send the funds Absolutely. you just do a message deposit on like Thorswap or asgard x or wherever you can bond Okay, and so message deposit is different than a send. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So you don't send the rune to any okay. anywhere. It's a it's a type of like depositing it into the uh, into the module which holds all the bond. 
that's just the type of, of thing. So if you go on like Thorswap or Asgard X and you go to like Bond, um, it'll automatically do that message deposit transaction type for you. So you don't even need to like think about that or do anything with it. It just happens. But like, you know, you don't ever have to send it. So there's no risk of like getting rugged as long as you're not sending the rune to just some random address and some right. guys like, hey, send me all your stuff. Right. So let's say you go to Thorswap or to Asgard X. And just the fact that the wallet that you're going to use to send from connects, it will know what to do with it. Is that right? Right. Right. The only so the you, only whitelisting is actually happening on the operator side. The operator has to whitelist your address, not the other way around. Right. So you give them your public address for your right. Thor wallet. They and whitelist just you. connect that, and then you go ahead and, and you can't get it them. wrong. Yeah, you can't get it wrong at all. It would just it would just reject it if they got right. if they got anything wrong for that point. It would just reject it. And so you would say, I'm going to bond to this operator, this you know node address, and then he, and because you're whitelisted, it'll accept it. If you tried to bond to somebody else's node who didn't whitelist you, the whole thing would just reject it. Just reject it, yeah. right? Yeah. So you do have to get a node address from the operator. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so when you go to bond, you, you just type in like it'll say like what node are you bonding to, and you just type that in, and then you put in however much rune, and you can just you, you just you just do it from there. But it's not it's not a send. It, you just deposit it into the. It's basically depositing it into the uh, the module, and then through that, it says, "Oh, this is going to this this bond provide this uh, this node operator, and they whitelisted you, so then it's all good." It, yeah. It's pretty easy. So, is anywhere that you can bond, it'll automatically do the right transaction type for you. Just don't like obviously this is for this is not just for you, but for everyone. It's like don't ever send like you know even if <laughs> you trust this person, don't just send rune or anything right. like that. Except for me. So it's, it's more like a you can send me send. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as long as they have this exact profile picture on Twitter, that's a real Chad Barford. <laughs> don't, don't do that. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. So, so once you do this successfully, then your balance will reduce in your own wallet. Though, yeah, course, the, right? like the, the rune is actually moved from your wallet to a, a, a module, which basically is a, a right. wallet that's owned by the protocol that has no private key. All right. Now, I think, of, you know, I don't know if it was the last one or at some point during one of these calls, um, there was a talk about the possibility, just very early, you know, light bulb going off about the possibility of doing a um, sort of like a common protocol managed pool for bond providing. Yep. Is there any thoughts on that and yes. what that would be? Uh We've been calling that a notion amongst the devs. We've been calling that uh, like an auto bond. So we're, you're not really picking specifically which node to bond to. You just bond to the network as a whole, and the network just kind of auto fills you into places where you, right. where you can fit. Um, that may happen. Uh, that may not happen, to be honest with you. There's some, there's some good reasons to do it, and there's some good reasons not to do it. But in the end, I think it's going to really just take more time to, to validate the documentation the and details. Yeah, just seemed like one of those things. That and, um, of course, the, the ever-persistent question from all of us plebs is, you know, what about cold vaults or, um, you know, what else they were called? I don't know. Yeah. The, the storage. Cold vaults. Mini little storage nodes. Yeah, cold vaults <laughs> was thrown around at a time when, like, when security was low on the network. Like, we were kind of running out of security. And it was, like, stopping right. us from being able to, like, launch Binance Smart Chain. Uh, on all this kind right. of stuff, and yeah. so we were trying to, you know, think of ideas of how to expand security. 
And uh, there, there are benefits to doing that cobalts versus, you know, an autobond system. Like there are, it's actually safer for the, pro, for the protocol to, to do it that way, to be honest. Right. But uh, now that security is relatively high, you've like we got the most amount of bond we've ever had in history. Um, there's less pressure or demand to spend resources on that kind of feature. Yeah, gotcha. Is there anything about the you know huge amounts of volume and you know presumably if we streaming lending works as intended, then the bond should only go up, right? Or the the space for you know more savers and all of that that flywheel should be kicking in, or is it like we're going to hit another ceiling here if everything goes our way soon, where we're going to the pendulum's going to have to swing back to bonding again? Possibly. I mean, I, I I would never say that it only goes up from here. That's a little bit of a uh, right <laughs> nonsensical statement, but like, but you know, if we were to launch uh, streaming loans, and let's assume that those loans are like you know successful in the sense of the, how how often they're getting utilized, which that may or may not be true. Like, I, it's kind of hard to know with, with the with the bear market, you know, how much it, just the how much general interest mm-hmm. there is. But uh, that could cause some, you know, positive room uh, action potentially. I'm not saying it will cause it, but I'm just saying it's possible. In which case, that would obviously make the security of the network even, you know, more well endowed in a matter of speaking. So, um, yeah, we'll see. You never know until you actually do it. Right, right. But you don't see any looming crisis as far as need to get more bond going at this moment right? no no i don't think so the only like looming crisis that i'm concerned about is that like synth circuit breaker we were talking about you know a few weeks ago and nothing we have to deal with today or tomorrow like it's not a problem anytime soon for like probably years to come but it is something that i would like to see us like kind of pin up and get it get it settled mm-hmm. gotcha all right that's all i've got yeah. thanks good work thanks all that yep Thanks. We'll just go in order here and get everyone through. Uh, Gray, what's up? Yes, sir. Um, so, quick question. I uh, congratulations, by the way, so far with the project. I've been following the project for a few years now. I sort of invested early, but I lost touch of what's going on. So, I understand Thorchain as DeFi on Bitcoin, and what I want to understand now is it's how is what stuff are doing related to what Thorchain also is building? Is there some, in some way, some kind of integrations that in the future you'd see these things working together, or what's their relationship, or they're completely two different things? So it's more like a technical question. But... Uh, I'm not sure if I got that question. Did you get that, Kyle? Yeah, sorry, which two things are, are you talking about? Uh, you know stacks? Stacks on Bitcoin? Oh, stacks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so uh, I'm just trying to understand what the relationship would be with stacks and Thorchain. Are these completely two different things, or there is a integration in the future that you would see them working hand in hand as technologies, not as projects? Um... There, they are two different things run by two different teams, and they have very different philosophies of how to connect with Bitcoin. Um, but I don't see a connection or integration there that I'm aware of that I can think of. I think they're off on their own uh, view of the world, and we're on our view of the world. And I don't think those two match up too well. 
But I like Stack because like they're one of the smarter teams. Like this, from a technical perspective, and their and their economics is better than most products out there. I'll tell you that right now. Can you can you make me understand the difference between what you're doing and, and what they're doing exactly? Because I don't quite technically understand it. Yeah, um, Stacks. If I remember correctly, and I hope I get it um, get it right is that they are a side chain of Bitcoin and uh, they offer like smart contracting for Bitcoin, but they have to do, I can't remember if I'm mixing up with another one that, that, that sounds similar or not, but um, they do like something called like proof of transfer or something like this uh, as a mechanism to, to move Bitcoin from one side to the other. It's just holistically a very different idea and design. Uh, I think they pull some of their security from like from the blocks being minted on the Bitcoin uh, chain, but in the end, I, I think and I, I hope I'm not misspeak, misspeaking here because I'm not an expert on stacks. But in the end, it's just like a, it's, it's still like a trusted federation, like most Bitcoin side chains tend to be. Yeah, and Thor chain is completely separate because it's not a Bitcoin L2, uh, like like Pax sort of is. Uh, Thorchain is just a place, it's a decentralized exchange where that we have native Bitcoin liquidities. You can trade Bitcoin for Ethereum or whatever other supported network. So it's kind of like completely, two completely different purposes that are kind of like oblique to each other. Like Stack's more of a L2 um, sidechain type thing and Thorchain being a, a native asset exchange where you can trade Bitcoin for uh, other assets on other networks. Thanks for your question, though. Uh, Quantum, Ghost. Hey, how's it going, guys? I just had a, a quick question. Uh, you guys ever think of uh, adding XRP onto Thorchain? Um, not really, to be honest with you. Um, I think my viewpoint on adding change in general, and I think this applies to XRP as well, is that in, in during a bear market, it's hard to add chains. Like we just added Bound Smart Chain, and there was like basically no interest in it. Like there's not much liquidity, not much trade volume, and thus far, it hasn't really been fruitful to the amount of cost that it took the devs to build it, and then the nodes to operate those chains, and so forth and so on. And I think that the reason why that is because the act of this is not a like you know feel the dream scenario where if we build it, they will come. Uh, just because we add some, you know, big blockchain with lots of liquidity and transactions like by a smart chain or whatever, doesn't mean any of that action is going to be coming towards Thorchain. So my viewpoint these days is that I don't really care how much, you know, market cap there is in the chain. What I care most about is, is that team that's behind it, you know, for it? Is the community behind it for it? Are they going to add liquidity? Are they going to integrate, you know, Thorchain into their wallets and their UIs and their ecosystems and, if I can get that agreement, which some chains are, like Radix, for example, is a chain that's like interested in doing those things. I'm much more interested in adding Radix than I am XRP. And that's not because I think Radix is better than XRP or, or vice versa or whatever. It's, it has nothing to do with my viewpoints on the chain or the coin or any of these things. I, to me, it doesn't really matter what the coin is. It's, 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 is that community down with the idea? Are they going to help? Are they going to assist? Are they going to be engaged? Are they going to come to spaces? Are they going to do some cross marketing? Are they going to do all these things to raise awareness? That's what I care most about more than anything. And XRP has not shown any interest in that regard. So in that regard, I would not be interested in XRP personally. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, man.
Uh, made coins. Yeah, so I'm here. It's a little bit noisy where I'm at. Um, I just have a, a quick question. Um, I'm new on this podcast. Doran Chain, um, what what do, what do you guys see yourself at going into next year? Like, are you going to do any, like, collaboration? Like, say, for example, like, uh, I hear a lot about, like, uh, Hedera H-Bar. Um, I'm just, I just want to know more about the company. I'm, I'm actually looking it up right now on your website. So, um, yeah, that's basically, I, I just want to know where you see your company going next year. Well, the first thing is that we're, we're not a company. Uh, there is no foundation. There is no corporate entity that exists anywhere in the world. So that's the first thing you should know. We're a decentralized group of developers and and community members from across across the planet. That's the first thing. Second thing is where are we going to go over the next year? I think the intention, at least the way that I look at it, is we're going to be working a lot with integrations. Uh, we've seen a lot of that in the last year with Trust Wallet and MetaMask and other kind of major wallets and DEXs that are going to be integrating with us. I think that's one of the key components for, of our success is getting just integrated with as a default swapping mechanism for every major wallet that you can that you can think of. Uh, that's one component. The second thing is just like making sure we launch all these major features like lending, streamings, streaming swaps, uh, savers, uh, limit orders, you know, uh, memoless transactions, like all these things. Get those things shipped as well within the course of the next year, uh, and make sure that when we the market goes bear, I'm sorry, it goes bull, and the next bull market that we are already well positioned to, to handle huge quantity of volumes and integrate with so many places that we become a fundamental pillar of infrastructure across the entire ecosystem of cryptocurrency. How's that? Oh, sounds good. It's a lot of information. <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> oh no, I got to store that in my brain. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it, it, it took me a couple of weeks to fully understand, like, you know, what DoorChain was and, like, how, how it worked and everything like that. But um, it's, it's pretty cool. It's just the it's just a decentralized, centralized exchange. Uh, you swap native assets and do other things with it. So it's it, it's super interesting if you take the time to actually check it out or uh, or not, you know, <laughs> like, you know or you, you can just do whatever. So have fun, man. Uh, thank you. I'm Check it, ch- check it out, and uh, trust, check it out, and trust Wallet or ThorSwap or Shapeshift or some interface. Just make a swap. You can trade Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's like you can't get better than that. It's pretty beautiful, and you can do it cheaper than any place else in the world, which is pretty crazy to, to say. Cool, cool. Con, uh, what's up, man? Hey, how you doing? How's it going, bud? Um, so a few a few minutes ago, um. You were you were talking about adding or like basically how you think about adding adding new chains. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of curious on how you guys think of removing chains too, mm-hmm. um, and um, and then another another thing I have in mind that I would like to kind of discuss um, is perhaps it's early, but. Um, you know, uh, as you guys might be aware, um, Circle is basically um, going to do native USDC swaps across chains. Mm-hmm. It already um, started, and there's some um, like meaningful traction there. So I think like USDC bridges kind of NGMI. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if there's any like, uh, yeah, what, what's your initial thoughts there? Yeah. Okay. So the first question was how we think about 
uh, removing chains, right? I think that was your first question. Right. Um, so we had a brief conversation, some of the devs, about the idea of re removing Binance Smart Chain just because it hasn't had the adoption that we would like to see. And it's a very expensive chain for node operators to operate. And so it's just, at this point, it's not producing enough in fees to make it, worth, worth, make it worthwhile. But um, one of the things that the, the community should be aware of is that, like, just adding a chain by itself is not the final step in the process. Once it's actually added, that's just, like, the one of the first steps. And after that point, just trying to get that ecosystem, you know, like Trust Wallet is one of the biggest wallets within Binance Smart Chain, for example. So getting them to do Binance Smart Chain out of liquidities and swaps and trading to see how that affects it and actually makes them more like reach, reach out to Binance themselves and ask them if they're willing to, you know, help add liquidity or, you know, maybe do some cross-marketing, whatever it is, and like trying to get all that doing. So that's something that, that specifically Nine Realms is going to be working on over the next few weeks or so to see if we can kind of foster a more a better relationship with them. But in the event that that doesn't, let's assume that doesn't happen and everything kind of stays the way it is, then like we may have a conversation with the community as a whole at some point saying that this chain, for example, Binance Smart Chain, has not been trading very much. It's very expensive for operators. Is this something that we want to keep, right? And maybe the answer is yes. And maybe the answer is no. But in the end, the node operators have to make that decision. So we'll probably vote to vote. And they'll vote one direction or the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 It definitely does make sense. Um, yeah. On the, on the second one, the USC, the USCC Circle Bridge, mm -hmm. bridge mm -hmm. um, right? So j just for some context, basically, um, like with, with this Circle's CCTP, um, basically how... how how the flow happens is that you know USDC um, so any so it's like a very um, uh, not a user facing application it runs on the back end mm -hmm. and applications can integrate it and if you're if you're an application that integrates it integrates it um, when user sends sends you some native USDC on a source chain you can have Circle attest to that mm -hmm. and once once you have their attestations um, you can mint uh, native USDC on a destination chain. Mm -hmm. um, so Circle has some chains where it, it supports this functionality. I believe Avalanche, Ethereum, and Arbitrum are, are those chains. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so that's that. Uh, like, what, was, what are the advantages? Basically, like, there's no liquidity pool, so you don't have to incentivize that. Right. So what happens? What happened um, in a number of bridges is that instead of like them spending um, like um, um, fees and 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 uh, inflationary rewards to incentivize liquidity pools, um, they kind of redirect that to to other pools, um, and so it's like a better use of their right. um, tokens. Right. So yeah, uh, I was I, I admittedly I haven't spent too much time on how. Torchain should should address this, or how, how should Torchain posi position itself here? Yep. Um, but yeah, curious curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, in general, I like what they're doing. This is a much better way of bridging, specifically USDC across across bridges. But it's better to do it this way than like than like layer zero approach, right? Because it's, it's it's you're already the fact that you're dealing with this asset means that you're already exposed to that assets, you know whims or whatever direction it wants to do or, or limitations that are being placed on it. 
And so by avoiding the added exposure or risk profile of another protocol on top of that is probably just a good thing. This only actually really works for USDC because it is a centralized stablecoin to begin with. And so you're not really giving up decentralization to do this. You couldn't do this with like, you know, Bitcoin or something like this, because that would just wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. I think it, I think what's probably going to happen, like, if I had a guess, is that like UIs such as ThorSwap or other ones are going to integrate with this with this system as another pathway to move across chains. And so part of their swap kit, you know, API is to say, hey, I want to move, you know, asset A on chain A to asset B on chain B. Uh, and then the swap kit UI will just give you, you know, here's four different pathways of accomplishing that task. Here's the one that we recommend most because it's the best, the, you know, the most uh, efficient execution. So, you know, here you go, right? And I think it'd be smart for them to integrate with this system to give another option, another methodology of moving, you know, USDC from one side to the other. So I don't think it changes the game for Thorchain all that much because in the end, we're, we're going to want to connect Bitcoin and ETH, right? And, and, USD, and USDC's bridge is never going to touch that. And that is our biggest moneymaker, you know, and, and biggest volume comes to that anyway. But I do, I do actually appreciate what they're, what they're doing. I think it's smart of them to do this. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Chad. I think it's going to be really good for DEXAG specifically. Right. And especially now that USDC is our deepest stablecoin pool on ThorChain. Uh, like, that's it, going to be super liquid and make it really easy to go to chains which we don't support natively, like Arbitrum or, uh, I don't know, literally anything that's that supported noble or just like wherever they're shipping usdc it makes it so it'll be super easy to get from whatever's on door chain to whatever other chain so you can just go bitcoin to usdc on door chain and then dexag that usdc into any chain that they're connected to and totally agree that it makes a lot of sense for them to do this i, I also agree with yukon that they're probably going to give all the other usdc bridges a super hard time because they're the issuer so it's like they're gonna have they, they have every competitive advantage in the book for uh like just being able to give the best execution like they, they they could shut down all the other uh like usdc bridges essentially if they if they wanted to and i'm, I'm sure that's i don't know whether that's part of the strategy or not but like they, they have every advantage there so i think they're gonna uh really try to capitalize on that and then yeah, we're definitely in different in different lanes. So there's no like direct competition there because we do just cook totally different things. But like, we definitely do have a uh, have some good common ground, being that we have so much USDC liquidity in comparison. Yeah, I'd definitely be concerned if I was layer zero right now because it's it's really just ripped into their game. Pretty well. I, I I'm thinking more like Axelar, <laughs> whose like main purpose is uh, USDC bridging. Right, and they they have their own wrapped USDC. Yeah, like, but I think you know, I think if, does, if they wanted to shut that off, they could just you know they could literally shut it off. Doesn't Axelar do a, circle. do a Bitcoin as well? Not really. Oh. M m almost all their volume is USDC. Uh, they're wrapped USDC. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was Bitcoin as well. Not yet. Candy, do you know what the uh, what the fee is that 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 you that Coinbase is charging for their bridge? Zero. <laughs> Zero? Well, that's pretty darn good. Yeah. Like, um, basically, applications um, can charge whatever they want on top. But, like, there's already some, like, hackathon projects that charge zero. Um, so, it's a race to the bottom. Basically, it'll be free. It, it, it doesn't um, make sense for it to be free, though, because it costs them money to, to do it. So, 
No, because 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 it does increase their dominance in stable coins. So so they're like they're they're competing against like USDT, like BUSD, right? Right, but that's a and, but that's a, a web two yeah. mentality of how to establish dominance despite like getting a bunch of VCs to invest in you and then having them spend their money to be able to offer the service for free. I mean, it doesn't mean it'll be free forever, but they're they're definitely going for like the uh, the approach of just like be absolutely everywhere and everything yeah. settled in USDC. Yeah. That's true. I, th- Wait, I, I mean, and they're and they're pretty I, successful up to this point. Like that is that is like the the USD of DeFi. Right, and and I kind of suspect like if if this model becomes successful for them, they like uh, manage to increase you know their their supply due to this and outcompete the market. Like other other fiat stable coins can also do this, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it'll be trivial for them to do so. So it's kind of reasonable to expect like this is where it, things are going. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can see. Now that. that I'm thinking about it, even like BitGo, you know, it, they they started doing this for Rap Bitcoin and things like that. It, it totally makes sense. Then it's like, yeah, you choose whatever chain you want to interact on, and then you the, the, the central company is controlling that asset anyway. So it's like, why not just give? They control the bridge for their own uh, for their own asset. It it, it totally right. makes sense. And l- luckily, we're completely oblique of that game, where it's like, you know, we do the the assets that are not controlled by like a single company or right. you know entity. Yeah, and obviously these bridges are, are not decentralized bridges, they're highly centralized and by design to be. So that's obviously the, the main big difference between you know, our viewpoint and theirs. But then again, like if it's a centralized token to begin with, like USDC is, then it's perfectly fine to have a centralized bridge to some regard, you know? Yeah, exactly what I'm thinking. Uh, that's what I'm saying that it would make total sense for like BitGo to do that or a- anyone else that issues out like their own uh, a- asset that they control, you know, like, like XRP could do that, like same exact thing, which I think they are to some extent with their own, yeah. like, you know, side chains and, and things like that. But like, I'm just saying like any, any entity that controls like, uh, you know, an, an asset like that, especially like bridges, might, they might as well just make, you know, be their own exporter. Right. And so, you know, Circle's got a huge advantage there. So, I mean, it'll be it, like I, I do think it's just good for us because you know it just makes us be able to connect to more chains more easily for for cheaper. So yeah. sounds sounds good to me, right? And I don't personally have a problem with it, I, but I obviously still believe in our viewpoint of like making, creating decentralized bridges. Although we're not a bridge, but decentralized methodologies of moving value between decentralized chains, like that's kind of our bread and butter and what we do exceedingly well. Nice. Thanks. Thanks for the. Thanks for sharing these. Um, I, I agree with with your takes. Um, it all makes sense. If there are if there are no like other um, questions at the moment, I'm kind of curious um, to hear more on memoless um, transactions mm-hmm. and, and and their benefit. I don't really quite get them. Sure. Like I, I understand them to to a certain extent. I understand that you basically can write your intent on Torchain, and it kind of makes it easy for wallet integrations mm-hmm. uh, but i'm like yeah especially especially curious on how um and what, like what's the value add exactly right so the value add is that is um a couple things but the main one is that um 
I know this is something that Thorchain and Bull has talked publicly about uh, creating a, a UI around this. And so you can go to some Thorchain Bull swap UI.com, whatever the hell that domain is going to be. And you can type in your intention. Like I got some Bitcoin. I want to run against ETH and I want this and this. You can kind of tell it what you want. And then it just gives you back a QR code. And then from that, you can just scan the QR code and send it off. And there's a trade right there. So being able to trade from, from any interface or any wallet without actually needing specific Thorchain integration, like which they all do today, which just expands our market, expands the number, number of wallets, the number of people, the amount of capital that can interact with Thorchain. I think that's like, that could see a good amount of um, value. I mean, even Chainflip itself as a protocol has always stated historically that they're, that they're one of their main value adds that you can trade with Chainflip without actually, uh, you know, having a wallet integration. You can do it from any wallet in the world, right? And they more or less have the same kind of feature. So for us, we just want to get this out the door in part because it's going to help increase trade volume, hopefully. And, and in some cases, it might even, you know, uh, be a stepping, stepping stone to allow UIs to have a quick and easy integration to start that you can do, you know, in a, in a weekend. And then when you're really happy with the experience, they can start like actually allowing more features like add liquidity and lending and, and this kind of stuff. But but some integrated interface still has to write that um, write a intent on Torchain, right? Right. Like and then and then those other UIs wallets that don't have a Torchain integration right. would have to refer refer to that somehow. Right. So you would go to some, you know, like tcbwallet.com or something like this. It's not even a wallet. tcbswapui.com, whatever it is. You put it in what you're looking for. It would make a call to a backend server. The backend server would make a, a like a, a a transaction on Thorchain to save that memo, and then give you back to the user a QR code that you can just scan and send. And so the, there would be some sort of backend server, and the back that actually like broadcasts a transaction and pays for the cost of that to register some memo on the you know on the on Thorchain for your transaction to come through, without needing to write a memo yourself on your transaction. And, like, and in this flow, in this flow, would user be going to the Torchain Bull website? Yes, uh, and have their wallet. Yeah, um, so you would you wouldn't even need to log into the website with your wallet. Do you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't even need to hmm. like have a you know Wallet Connect or one of those similar services. You could just you know go on your desktop computer, or it doesn't matter where, but just go on your desktop computer, go to the website, type in what you want to do, once what Bitcoin, Ethereum, blah blah blah. And then it gives you a QR code and your wallet's on your phone. You just scan the QR code, send it off. Very quick, very simple. Very interesting. Yeah, that's nice. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it, like the way I'm thinking about it is it should make using ThorChain completely agnostic of whatever interface or wallet you're using. So you can you can go on like ThorSwap, ShapeShift, you know, ThorChain BullSwap or just any ThorChain interface. You just... Um, you just describe your intent. Swap this Bitcoin to Ether. This is my price limit. Uh, you know, blah blah. That the interface is what registers the memo for you for just like you know, for like a penny or two, it just registers it for you, and then it gives you that inbound address. You just copy and paste that, and then they copy and paste the exact amount to send. And then when you do that, it just it does works. whatever you to do. Yeah. So it's like and, you, you know, and, you can swap from Bitcoin Core or whatever. It doesn't matter. And is the is the barcode the like the 
like, do you imagine this whole working always with the barcode, or is that is that could there be other ways to reference that? I mean, there could be any way you want. It doesn't have to be a barcode or a QR code. It could be anything. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the UI would give you the if you want to just copy and paste it directly, you could do that too. But the QR code would be there just to make it you know super quick and easy to to implement to yeah, import it. The QR code is just interesting because you can embed the address and the amount into the QR code. So then it's literally just like you just scan it and then just you just press OK and then it's like yeah, the transaction is sent and it's done. Or or you could get yeah, or you could copy and paste the amount and the address and you'd have to get those exactly right, obviously. But the QR code just makes it easier. Yeah. Yeah, the, the other benefit of this feature, which I kind of like, which is uh, secondary, but it's still pretty interesting, is that in some um, blockchains, like there's a limit of like how much memo you can actually fit. So in Bitcoin's case, it's like 80, yeah. 80 bytes. And for, for like Monero, I think it's like 16 bytes or something. Or they're thinking about the change it to 16 bytes or something like this. And so you can actually um, remove memo entirely and just have a super long memo going from Bitcoin to Ethereum right. and be able to fit an arbitrarily long not arbitrary there's still like a, a maximum of like 250 characters which is huge as long as you reasonably could ever ever really want and so you could you could utilize this feature to do all sorts of crazy things uh theoretically yep yep beyond the limits of the, of the chain that you're interacting with right stuff like maybe dex aggregation but also other stuff right yeah dex aggregation you can do, a swap you can do custom refund addresses you could do data pass through you can send arbitrary data to the contract you're interacting with on ethereum you know send a bunch more data that way like it could be arbitrarily you know as much as you want more or less outside of as long as under 250 50 we put up we put an artificial limit of 250 characters on these memo sizes we can increase it to 300 like no problem it's not that really big of a deal but we just want to put some kind of reason, reasonable limit on it Nice. I like it. Yep. I think it's pretty, pretty big. And I think it'd be interesting to see how much that kind of UI is utilized over something like a Thor swap, that, which is like fully integrated from the ground up, you know, and, and, and this UI that TCB has been talking about, like it would be just like either free or maybe like one basis point, you know, fee instead of 30 basis points or 50 basis points. So you could have a much cleaner UI but that and this UI, like if you do if you do a certain way, like you you don't you can just build it in a weekend and like almost never touch it again. Like you never have to uh, add new features or anything like this or add more complexity. Like you can, you can just code it just once, get it out the door, and like basically never touch it again, and it'll just continue to work. You know, it has very little cost to, to like manage it from a dev perspective or operations perspective. It's partially why you can charge like one basis point fee or zero basis point fee because it has no cost to operate or very little cost. Cool guys. All right. Let's wrap it up. Good talking to you guys. As always, as always. As always. Thanks for coming on guys. I will catch you next week. All right guys. Good chatting. See you.